Welcome to the Anchor Church Podcast. Each week, we'll bring you the teaching from our central campus. We hope it's an encouragement to you. Thanks for listening. Uh, good morning. If we haven't met yet, my name is John. I'm the executive pastor here at Anchor. Uh, and it is fun to be here. There's so much going on today, right? Like, this is fun. This is awesome. Um, just... Again, it's a, it's a really great day where we get to see like where the generosity of this community has actually allowed to have happen, um, where we get to say thank you to, to Bonnie Jean and excited for both her and Josh because Bonnie Jean's not going anywhere, right? She's leaning full-time into connections, helping new people find a place here, which is rad. And then Josh is ready to take that, that torch pass and just go um, with our student ministry. And we are so excited for both those things. Um, it's also fun. I get to close out the last week of our Harbor Base series, um, which is cool. But I'm really, really excited about the next week's teaching series that we're kicking off. It's called Kingdom Catechism. How many of you guys have seen something about that in our newsletter? You've seen that in the emails? Okay, awesome. Cool. I get to break the news. This is great. Uh, so we, uh, Brian, have, along with some other people on our team, have been working for over a year on what we're calling this Kingdom Catechism. Now, a catechism is something that has historic roots in our faith. It's generally catechisms have been this uh, summary of principles of what Jesus followers believe. And it's in the form of like a question and answer, which is really, really cool. Uh, and there are some really, really rich historic catechisms that we get to look to. Uh, here's a challenging thing. Like they're really old. And while the root problems of the world have not changed in the, in the hundreds or even thousands of years, the way that those get reflected in the world today have changed radically. And so we are saying, like, kind of really in line with what Josh just said, like, what does it mean to build our identity around Jesus and what does that look like? So we're going to spend a lot of time diving into that. There's a really awesome resource that we have available next week that I'm super excited about. Uh, so you're not going to want to miss that. But this week, we're closing out Harbor Bay series. Uh, now, as a reminder for those of you who've been here before or new information, this is your first time at Anchor, we've used the term Harbor Base to describe the type of church we want to be since really day one. And our heart behind it is this, is that a harbor is a place of refuge from a challenging environment. And we can all agree, right, that the world is a challenging environment. And so a church needs to be a place of refuge, of safety, of comfort, of healing from that hard environment. But it also needs to be a, a base, right, a place of preparation to return back to that challenging environment. Because we can't just live in a harbor, right? We can't just, you don't get to stay in the hospital, right? You get, you get healed up and they're like, okay, go. And so we want to do a little bit more preparation and training and, and be both a harbor and a base. And so two weeks ago, Brian started off this series by talking about how Jesus is really the ultimate harbor. We were in John chapter four. There was a woman at a well in the middle of the day who ran into Jesus. She was trying not to run into people, but she ran into Jesus, uh, weirdly enough. And, and Jesus has this moment with her of just incredible grace and compassion, who said, I know all the reasons why we shouldn't talk, but... I love you and I have eternal life that's available for you, even though I know you have a rough background. And then last week was really cool. How many of y'all were here when we celebrated Anchor's fourth birthday? Like that was fun. Yeah, we can, some of you, we can clap for that. Like it's been cool to see what God's done in Anchor. That's fun. Um, and Brian talked about the base aspect of Jesus, about how Jesus is one of the best that we've seen at sending people out into that challenging environment. And so today we're in John chapter four. We're actually gonna finish out the chapter mostly as we finish out this Harbor Base series. Uh, we're talking today about how do we spark a Harbor Base movement? How do we spark and, and see a Harbor Base movement? And we believe this, that a Harbor Base movement is actually a Jesus movement. 
Because if Jesus is the ultimate harbor and Jesus is the best at sending people out, right, then a harbor-based movement is a Jesus movement. And I believe this, that a Jesus movement has to start with all of us, starting with me and you guys and everyone else, believing that Jesus is not just for me, he's for everyone. Jesus is not just for me, he's for everyone. You're gonna hear me say that a lot this morning. It's because it's the number one thing I want you to take away, that Jesus is not just for me, he's for everyone. I think some of us are here and we needed to hear that because we need to, like, we think Jesus is awesome for us, but we're a little weirded out by talking about him to other people, right? Like that, uh, I'm a pastor and that sometimes is me, right? Like that's okay. It's a safe place if that's you and that's where you're at. Um, But I think some of us are here today and we're curious about Jesus and you're asking the question, is Jesus also for me as well? If that's you, you need to know that the answer is yes. That Jesus is available for you as well. And I hope that as we spend about the next 20 to 25 minutes diving into the character of Jesus we see in this text, that you're gonna fall in love with Jesus and realize that, yeah, Jesus is actually for me as well. So we're gonna be in John chapter four today, like we have been for the last two weeks of this series. Uh, John is one of the four gospels that's in the book of the Bible. We call it a gospel because it refers to the the story of Jesus's life and ministry. There's four of them. They're found in the New Testament. Uh, If you have a Bible, like a paper Bible, it's about two thirds of the way through that paper Bible. Uh, But we're also gonna have it up on the screen behind me if you don't have a, a Bible or Bible app with you. So we're going to be in John chapter 4, verse 39. It says this, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. I want you to underline that quote if you can, like, or just like pin it in your head. Like, we're coming back to that. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed for two days. Which that's really significant. We need to pause there. Jesus does a lot. Like, Jesus is a busy person. Like he has lots of Jesus things that he's doing. He spends a few hours here, a few hours there, a few hours there, tries to go away. All the crowds follow him. He does a few hours here, right? Like Jesus is constantly moving, talking, healing, doing all these types of things. He spends two days with this group of Samaritans, which is really significant. Because of his words to them, many more became believers. They, the Samaritans said to the Samaritan woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. This is a really cool moment that we get to see in scripture here. It's fun that we not only get to see a changed life in the woman, but we get to see the impact of her changed life just a short while later. We don't get to see that too often. It's really cool that we get to here. But it's also really cool when we look at it throughout the context of everything going on in the background culturally of this story. One of the things that's vital to do when we read scripture is this, is to know the context and the back history. And sometimes that can feel really overwhelming to track down and say, I don't know how to research this. I don't know where to start. So maybe I'm just not going to do it. Like I get that. It can be overwhelming. Last year, Bonnie Jean and I led a class uh, that's seven weeks long that we're calling How to Study Your Bible. Um, And it was really, really cool because it takes an overview of scripture and talks about how do we learn, like what types of writing are each of these books of the Bible? Who wrote them? Who did they write them to? What's going on in the background? Because that history and that context is really important. Uh, Anchor, we're offering that class again. It's gonna be on Monday nights at 6.30, starting tomorrow night. Uh, You can register for that on the events page of our website. Again, it's called How to Study Your Bible. I think it's gonna be a really, really rich time of kind of getting some of that basic knowledge. Uh, because we, there is significance to this backstory here. 
Right, we see this backstory of, of Jews and Samaritans and Jesus was ethnically a Jew and, and, and while the Jews and Samaritans used to be a part of the same kind of people group, something happened um, after what's known as a period of, of Babylonian captivity. You see, the Babylonians came in, they took them captive and then on the other side of that, on the other side of captivity, on the other side of exile, the people group split. And they split. A commentator says the reason why they split is because Samaritans, this is a commentator's words, weren't accepted back into Judaism because they couldn't prove the purity of their lineage. There are some Samaritans who it said intermarried with Assyrians and many of them were called awful things like half-breeds because of it. And so they weren't fully accepted back because they had married someone from a different race. And so a split formed. The, The Samaritans formed their own worship center the Jews had their temple in Jerusalem and they, and they both said like hey don't go to the other person's place like they don't like us and we see this this othering right this these peopling that we see um, I talked about this last time I was on the stage Jesus told a parable that he called the good Samaritan because for a lot of Jews at the time they did not believe that there was a thing such as a good Samaritan they thought all Samaritans were bad right so we see this And what's interesting is we see this history of racial bias in the text and we see it coming to play with Jesus spending so much time with someone who culturally was othered. We also get to recognize that like one, history is important for us to look at and learn because otherwise we make the same mistakes. But also like this history is not that far away from us as a country. It wasn't until 1967 that the Supreme Court said states can't have laws banning interracial marriages. Like my parents were alive when my marriage would be illegal. And so like it is a historical biblical thing, but it's also a recent history here. And so we get to understand and look and go, oh, like we probably have some blind spots still as a culture. There's still some stuff that we've inherited that are blind spots. And also we've made some mistakes. And this is why how to study your Bible is so important because when my parents were alive at that time and some of you in the room were alive at that time when that was happening, there were regular people and politicians who were using verses in the Bible to justify those bad laws. Like there are still people on the internet who do that today. There are a lot fewer and far between, thank God. But like that's, we gotta wrestle with that. And so I think when we see this movement start in the Samaritans, it lets us know this, that to start a movement, it has to start by examining our blind spots examining our blind spots. What's interesting is this, is that not only do we have these historical blind spots that we see the blind spots of race come through in the story about Samaritans. We know that's in our history. We know we're wrestling with it today. But man, we are living in a day and age where culture is handing us a different type of other every week. Where you cannot spend a day online without learning about three new people groups that you're supposed to hate or like people that you're at least supposed to distance yourself from, right? Like not only do we have historical blind spots and historical others and these peoples that we have to deal with that bias, but now culture is handing us a new one every week. Think about it, right? Like you, culture is saying like, hey, if they vote differently from you, they're other, don't associate. Hey, if they think differently about an opinion, they're other, don't associate. Hey, if they, don't, if they dress differently, they're other, don't associate. Hey, if they post these types of things on their social media, like you probably don't need to be friends with them. Hey, if they don't post these things on social media, like they're not actually benefiting you, so like separate yourself from them. 
hey, they have a different type of job. They have a different work ethic. They, whatever it is, right? It, we are living in such a fragmented, polarized time that not only do we have this historical othering, but we have really current othering happening as well. And it can feel really overwhelming. It can feel so, so, so overwhelming. What's interesting is that this is, this is a human problem. We look at Jesus in the, in the moment with the woman at the well that Brian talked about two weeks ago. What's really interesting is Jesus doesn't bring up the cultural barriers between him and this woman. She does. Isn't that interesting? That like our brains are broken in a way that we bring up these things like she does. She brings up race. She brings up gender. She brings up status. She brings up all these things. And Jesus is like, I'm just here. I'm just here because Jesus knows that he's for everyone, not just me and you. He knows that he's for everyone. And I think what can happen is when we start to try to examine our blind spots and we ask for help in doing that, right? Because when you're asking, when you're looking at your blind spots, you need help because you can't see them. That's why they're called blind spots. When you ask for help, it can feel so exhausting. Where again, culture is giving us a new type of person that we're not supposed to associate with like every other day. I don't know about you, but sometimes I can get so exhausted. I just want to take a step back from it all. I just want to go like, fine, I don't want to mess up. I don't want to upset anyone. I don't want to offend anyone. Like, I'm, I'm just, I'm out. What that does is when we pull back, we actually kind of pull inward as well. And we retreat inside of ourselves. And when we retreat inside of ourselves, we're not living out this idea that Jesus is not just for me, he's for everyone. So here's what I want to challenge us to do as a community. I want us to lean in together to examining our blind spots. There's a simple question um, that a former pastor of mine said that I think is so good to examine these. I remember we would have staff meetings and we would say, man, so many people came through our campus this day. Like this person was here, this person was there. This person who's a leader in our community showed up on Sunday. Like how cool is that? And I remember this guy, he would just kind of let us go through it. And he'd go, okay, John, who wasn't there? I was like, well, a lot of people. He's like, no, but like, who, who wasn't there? It's such a powerful question when we look at our Sunday morning times together. It's an even more powerful question when we look at our small group times together. We ask ourselves the question, who isn't here that should be? Like, we know this city of Tacoma. Who isn't here that should be? What does it look like to ask that question even a little bit further, right? Who isn't here that doesn't look like me? And, and, and not just in a racial sense, yes, in a racial sense, but also in like a, in a socioeconomic sense, in a stage of life sense, in a type of career sense, right? That's when we look at and examine our blind spots, that's where Jesus is. And that's when we start to see a Harvard based movement is this idea where we actually live out that Jesus is not just for me, but he is for everyone. And here's the thing, when we start to do that, when we start to see the tipping point of a movement happen, some really cool stuff happens. Movements are awesome. There's been some great books written about it, um, but the Christian faith has had movements throughout time. And something that I love that Brian said before from the stage that's really cool is that every movement in the Christian faith generally has two parts to it. There's what we call the burning center and the expanding edge. And so when we start to examine our blind spots and say that Jesus is not just for me, he's for everyone, we actually get to see this burning center and expanding edge of a Jesus movement. So we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about what a burning center is. Uh, sometimes another author refers to this as white hot faith. It comes from this illustration, this analogy of faith being like a flame and the center of a flame that's the most hot is white in color because of how hot it is burning. Um, and so how do we get to white hot faith? How do we get to that center of a movement? And I believe this, it happens when we feel seen and known by Jesus. 
we feel seen and known by Jesus. The woman's testimony that she shared, the one that she told to her fellow Samaritans that caused them to first believe in Jesus, John records it as simply as this. He told me everything I ever did. Told me everything I ever did. And that's a lot for all of us. It was a lot for this woman. I love that. I think this, that when people who don't know Jesus see what people who encounter Jesus look like after they really encounter Jesus, that's what makes people want in on Jesus. Does that make sense? Like I know there are people in this room today at the last gathering, I know that there are people here today who are, who are curious about Jesus. And I, I'm willing to bet this, that if you're in this room and you are curious about Jesus, you're not curious because your neighbor who loves Jesus watches PG movies and doesn't listen to music with swears right? Like that's not compelling. I was told in church that was compelling. It's not. Like I'd also be willing to bet that if you're curious about Jesus, that it's not because your neighbor who loves Jesus always tells you the right thing to do. Probably definitely isn't that your neighbor who loves Jesus always tells you when you screw up, right? Like that's not compelling, It's also really important to note that like this woman did not deliver a thesis paper. She did not give a five-point apologetic argument for the most logical reason why Jesus makes sense. She said, he saw me, he knew me, he knew my mess, he knew my mistakes, and he loved me. Told me everything I did. Because we complicate this so darn much. Like I'm guilty of that. I complicate stuff up here all the time. Like we complicate this so much. But what we need to do to get to the burning center of a Jesus movement, of a harbor-based movement, is we need to show people Jesus. That's it. Like we show people Jesus and let him do what he does. Those words changed the lives of her countrymen. Those words, it got them in the door to Jesus. But they really said yes after spending time with him, right? Verses 40 through 42 says this. When the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed for two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, by my fellow doubters in the room, like take faith, that's rad. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. We know now. I love this, the Samaritans, they believed, they believed up here, but after they spend time with Jesus, we know. We go, that's what happens when we meet Jesus. We go from believing to knowing. This woman's testimony, this simple, short one sentence that would have been shorter than when we told Josh to do five words, right? Like this simple, short sentence that got them curious, got them believing, and got them knowing. That's all it was. So our job, it is to point people to Jesus and then let them meet Jesus. He'll take care of it. It's not up to us to save people. And I'm so grateful for that. Here's what God asks us to do. He says, here's what I need you to do. I need you to bring me your brokenness and your shame. I don't know about you. I have plenty of that I can offer God. I have plenty of that that I can offer God. Good deeds, saving people. I can't offer that to God. Brokenness and shame, I got that of plenty. I can give that to God. He says that when you do that, there's a burning center when we realize that there's grace for us. Like white hot faith comes from this idea of Jesus knows exactly who I am and he still says I'm beloved. He says I am fearfully and wonderfully made no matter my sin. A friend of mine put it this way and I love it so much. He says the enemy knows your name and calls you by your sin. And Jesus knows your sin and calls you by your name. I love that so much. That's what Jesus does, Right? 
I love that we don't get to know the name of the woman in the story because it makes it easier for me to put John there. Where I've had moments where I didn't want to see anyone, let alone Jesus. And I said, no, I'm not bringing my shame to you. And Jesus still met me there. And he says, John, I see you and I love you. That's what he does. That's what he does. When we get that white hot center, when we have that moment where we bring our brokenness and our shame to Jesus and we experience grace and we see that white hot faith that comes from that, then we get the expanding edge. Here's a cool like visionary, like we want Anchor to continue being a part of the expanding edge of what God is doing in Tacoma, the greater South Sound and beyond. Like, and we've done this work. We as a church have started to examine our blind spots. We started doing that two and a half years ago. We brought in people for training. We had large discussions at the board level, at the staff level, at the volunteer level, where we're saying, is this a place where everyone can belong before they believe? And the answer initially was, no, it probably isn't. There's some changes that we need to make. And we've been doing that. We're going to keep doing that work. We're going to keep investing in that work. But here's the thing. We think that God is asking us to dream big as a church. That God is asking us to say, like, what would it look like to be on the expanding edge of a Jesus movement here in the South Sound? And our heart and our vision for this is for planting churches. We think that for a Jesus movement to happen, one of the best ways that that can happen here is by planting more harbor-based churches in more neighborhoods. The data backs us up on that as well. We actually, we have a, we plant campuses sometimes, right? We plant at Anchor Lincoln, which is rad. Sometimes we plant sovereign autonomous churches. There's a church in Gig Harbor called Heart Church that just started meeting on Sunday mornings. Like you guys did that. I don't know if you remember, we brought Kramer up here. We gave him a, a check for 10 grand, um, which was rad. Like, thank you for your generosity. And we've been so many things along the way. And that's in this network that we call the Harbor Base Network. And we think this, that the more Harbor-based churches in people's neighborhoods, the more people are gonna meet Jesus and let him transform their lives. We're dreaming big for Anchor. We celebrated our fourth birthday last week. Like, why wouldn't we dream big? Do you know how many church plants fail? You know how many church plants, how many pastors we sat alongside with and, and had to have hard conversations that are saying, I think my church is closing in the pandemic. Like sometimes I don't know why God's been so gracious to us, but I'm not gonna take it for granted. I'm gonna take it and run. Like, cause God has asked us to keep going. We launched a campus in the pandemic. We launched a sovereign church on the tail end of the pandemic. We have launched a celebrate recovery ministry here, which feels like a church plant when you look at everything that goes into it. God is so, so good. And I get so excited and it's so crazy that God's done all that. And we have to remember that God did it, right? Yes, it could not happen without time, talent, treasure from, from the people who call Anchor home. And yes, our leadership team has like kept the car straight-ish, but like God has done it. Sometimes I veer, it's fine. Um, like God's done it, right? And, and I think God's continuing to ask us to dream big, we're gonna have uh, band and community teams come forward. Sometimes I get asked this though. I get asked fairly often, John, what do you think about when you think of Anchor in five years? And for me, it's all about church plants. People will ask me like, how many staff do you think it's gonna need? How many buildings do you think we're gonna need? I was like, I don't know. Like, I don't, it sounds bad. I don't care. I think we're gonna have 20 churches in that Harbor-based network. And the answer to the staff and the building question is like, whatever it takes to make this happen. So five years from now, I'm dreaming of 20 churches in our Harbor-based network. We have three right now. I'm dreaming of 20. Maybe like six of them are campuses, 14 are these sovereign autonomous churches that we help plan. I, maybe those numbers are different. I don't know. I just know this, that God's telling us to do more churches for more people to meet Jesus. I think there's probably gonna be churches that see how anchors planted churches and what God's doing here is like, hey, I want in on that. 
But here's what I know as well. Like that's a, that's a big call, it's a big dream. I think we can do it. If I'm being honest, sometimes I think that might be too small. Some of you got freaked out that I said that, it's fine. Um, I think God's doing some really cool things here. And God's up to something here. I'm so excited that we get to be a part of it. Here's the thing that I know though, right? And and experts have said this, really smart people in this room have said this, right? Like the only way to get to a vision that big is by taking one step at a time. So here's what I want for us today in this room. I want us to think and pray about, say, what is our next step coming out of this Harbor Base series? Because guys, this is the core of who Anchor is. This is the core of who this church is. And so there has to be a next step for me. There has to be a next step for you. I think for some of you that you're here today, that next step is you're gonna say yes to Jesus. You walked in curious about Jesus. You were saying, is Jesus for me? And you've heard so clearly, yes, he's for you. Your life will never be the same if you say yes to Jesus. I promise you that. I think for some of us though, we we need to sit and we need to really ask for help and raise our hands in a small group or with our close friends and say, I need help looking at my blind spots. When John was talking about blind spots on stage, there's something in the back of my head that I don't like thinking about, but I know it's there. I want help looking at that. Maybe next step for you is is you're gonna be a part of the next church or campus that Anchor Plants. You're gonna step forward and say, I wanna be on a core team that's gonna bring a harbor-based church to a community that needs one. We have a, we're gonna plan another campus next year. We'll talk more about that in a few weeks, Um, but I'm really excited. And I hope that for a lot of you in this room, you say yes to being a part of that. If not, that's okay. There's gonna be another one and another one and another one. So a friend of mine who uh, works at a church that's planted probably 14 churches in the last four years. And when they say it, they're welcome to church thing, kind of like our meet anchor that's gonna be in the lobby right after this. What they say at that is, man, we're so glad you're here. We're really excited to send you out to plant a church in the next two years. I love that. I love that that's in their DNA so much and I want it to be in ours. Maybe though that's, that's a little bit too much of a step for you or just not the right step for you right now. And so maybe you're gonna do this. You're gonna invite someone to sit with you in this Kingdom Catechism series that we're kicking off next week. Someone who's gonna come and sit with you and say, hey, life is complex. Life is hard. Life is crazy. Jesus is our North Star in these. Will you sit with me and we, as we learn what that looks like today in this day and age? Maybe though that the inviting someone to church is a, is a bridge too far for you or, or for them or both. I've been in there. One of the things that we talk about at Anchor is we, we really want to do this. We want to be front porch people. We want to be the people who hide in the backyard and never see our neighbors. We want to be front porch people who are out in the world. When you're front porch people, sometimes you end up being able to rescue people from war, right? Like that's just what happens. And so here's our hope, right? Like our hope is that we can be front porch people, that we can be the people that the neighbors know. So here's what we're doing. It's very creatively titled. It's called our Front Porch People Halloween Initiative. Um, this is rad. Again, like I grew up in the church that didn't say Halloween was Halloween. We had a harvest carnival. So I love this. Like, this is rad. <laughs> we want anchor houses to be like the coolest houses in the neighborhood at Halloween. Like we want it to be the most incredible house ever. We want people to find community, find belonging and lingering on Halloween. Halloween's like one of what, two nights a year where it's not weird to knock on someone else's door. Like it's the, you know, if someone knocks on my door, I'm like, what happened? <laughs> Right, but now on Halloween, it's cool. I like, what an amazing opportunity. And so here's what we're doing. We are dreaming of six to 12 houses in Tacoma in various neighborhoods. 
that are like the house to go to in that neighborhood. Like I want to look like a carnival in the front yard at one of them. Maybe someone has this vision for like a a cool seating area and like the spookiest thing you're going to do. Awesome, that's great. Here's what we need. We need two things. One, we already have six families that have stepped in and said, I want my house to do that this year. Here's what we need. We need help. We need people to bring resources, to bring ideas, bring creativity, bring funding, bring yourselves, invite people and say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a champion for that house in that neighborhood this year at Halloween. Here's the other thing. We have six amazing families in awesome neighborhoods in this, I love so much of this city, um, that have stepped up and said, yes. Here's the other thing though. I've looked at the neighborhoods, I've looked at the houses, I've looked at the people, I've also started to ask the question, who isn't here? I know that there are gonna be people in this room who look at that webpage and go, oh, my neighborhood's not there. Hey, someone who looks like me isn't there. Hey, someone in my type of blue collar job or white collar job, whatever, isn't there. Awesome, will you pray about being one of those houses? We know that this list isn't complete. We know that this list isn't the entire city. We wanna get there. So you pray about doing one or two things with this front porch people. Will you either champion a house or pray about being one of those houses yourself. Does that make sense? If you want more info, it's on the website. There's also gonna be um, some really cool stuff out in the lobby with info about that as well. It's a lot of next steps. This is the core of who we are as a church. I'm not gonna go back through that list of next steps again because I think something happened when I said at least one of those things to you, you felt like a little pinch. You felt something that's like, oh, that hit me differently or I should pay attention to that. Cool, you know. Like most of you are adults in this room. If the kids are smart, like, you know. So here's what we're gonna do. We're about to go into a time of communion where we recognize Jesus's death and his sacrifice, which led to his resurrection that made all this possible. As we go into that time, I'm gonna pray for us. I'm gonna pray that whatever next step God put on your heart where you felt that little twinge, I felt the twinge as I was prepping this message, guys, I really did that you have the courage to lean into that and follow through on that. Does that make sense? Will you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus. God, we thank you for Jesus being this incredible example of a harbor and a base, God, that we get to follow the model of however poorly we try today. God, I thank you for the people at Anchor. Thank you for this community. I thank you for their heart to be front porch people. God, I just pray this, that whatever next steps people are contemplating with us today, tomorrow, over this next week, God, that you would be present with them. That they would listen well, that they would push through any discomfort. That's our own stuff, God, to know what you have for us. God, I again, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his sacrifice. Thank you for the freedom and the new life that we have in him. In your name, amen. We're gonna have time where you can come forward and take communion. Communion's for anyone who said yes to Jesus, even if you said yes to Jesus for the first time today. Um, And as we do so, the band's gonna lead us in one more song.